If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 181 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Dr. Francesca Gino, who's currently a professor at Harvard Business School. She's also a researcher, speaker, and author, exploring subjects like decision-making, productivity, creativity, and leadership. And Salisa, this time you drew the lucky card and had the privilege of talking with our guest. What did you and Francesca cover? Well, we got into the link between curiosity and learning, and I'll note, by the way, that Francesca embraces the label of lifelong learner for herself. We also get into the connection between curiosity and innovation, which so many leaders strive to foster in the organizations and in the groups that they lead. We also talk about her most recent book, Rebel Talent, and one of the things that I found really interesting in that book is that she believes what binds the five rebel talents together is engagement. Um, So she views those rebel talents, which are novelty, curiosity, perspective, diversity, and authenticity, she sees all of those as paths to engagement. And engagement, of course, is really crucial for effective and meaningful learning. So we get into how those of us providing education and professional development and lifelong learning to adults might enlist those rebel talents. And we also touch on improv comedy. So you'll have to listen for that connection. Yes. And a little nod to improv there. I'm really curious about the fact that she's identified these talents as rebel talents. Uh, like, I want to hear more about that and, uh, and how rebels are embracing these to become valuable in the workplace. I'm sure that's part of uh, her thinking. In any case, this all sounds like really interesting fodder for learning leaders. So let's roll the interview with Dr. Francesca Gino. Hello and welcome. I'm Salisa Steele. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Dr. Francesca Gino. Francesca is a psychologist who's conducted award-winning research in areas like judgment and decision-making, motivation, productivity, and creativity. She's an award-winning educator, currently serving as the Tandon Family Professor of Business Administration in the Negotiation Organizations and Markets Unit at Harvard Business School. She's a speaker and an author. Her most recent book is Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. And she advises organizations in areas like decision-making, leadership, and organizational behavior. Francesca, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, so my brief introduction just skimmed the surface of of what you've done and what you do. So I want to give you the chance here at the outset of our conversation to say a bit more about yourself. What else would you like to highlight for our listeners? What I love to say is that like many of your listeners, I am a long um, life learner. So when I think about the job that I do and the different hats that I get to wear, thanks to doing the research, visiting a lot of organizations, uh, uh, talking and also teaching to a lot of leaders uh, through my training and consulting, the part that I love the most about the job is that it's not only about doing the research and doing the teaching, but it is about learning from others. And so I have also 
sort of opportunities in my job to keep on learning. And in fact, when uh, my husband is the one often asking me, what do you like the most about your job? It's just that, the opportunity uh, to feel as if learning never stops. Well, that's great. We definitely um, are always happy to meet other lifelong learners here on the Leading Learning Podcast. I, I know that I first encountered your work through a Harvard Business Review article on curiosity, and we'll make sure to link to that article in the show notes that we'll provide for this episode. But so let's start there. Let's start with curiosity. And um, I'm, I'm curious to hear how you define curiosity and what got you interested in studying curiosity, or I guess I could say what got you so curious about curiosity? (laughs) Curiosity is really the impulse that we have to seek new information and experiences and always try to explore novel possibility, possibilities that are out there that are novel and new. And what got me really curious about curiosity is a basic fact. So I have three small children And they're six, three, and one and a half. And I'm fascinated by the way they approach the world. It's always asking all sorts of questions. Just the other day, my son, who's now six, was asking, why is the sky blue? Why is it that we need to pay for things? Uh, Why is it that we need to wear clothes when we get out of the house? Uh, Why is it that we live on Earth? And is this constant questioning that comes from little people who approach the world with a sense of wonder and a sense of awe. And if you look at the data, as I did, curiosity peaks at the age of four and five, and then it declines steadily from there. And that, to me, was a remarkable finding. And so I started looking at how organizations sustain, encourage, or often shut down curiosity. So, for instance, I looked at data from a group of 350 people starting new jobs. And I asked them questions about curiosity, their natural level of curiosity. And for the most part, there was some variance, but across jobs, curiosity was pretty high. And then I went back to the same people six to eight months after the start of their jobs. And what I saw is that across the board, curiosity had dropped by at least 20%. That is just a missed opportunity because if we think about most of the breakthrough discoveries or remarkable invention throughout history, not only in business, they come from people's curiosity. And so it seemed like a missed opportunity. And I got really curious about investigating why is it that so often we decide not to be curious or organizations we work for shut down our curiosity. Well, and so that got you interested in it, and I know that you've been been studying curiosity, writing about it, doing research around it. I know too that you know, as a professor, you're out there teaching adults. As you started off the conversation, you're a lifelong learner, and so I'm. I would like to know kind of what you see as that connection between learning and curiosity. So curiosity is one of the main drivers of learning. Part of the reason why we have this thirst for learning is because we are curious. And it's interesting that across contexts, not only business, but even in schools, oftentimes uh, teachers or leaders, if we're talking about business, do not take on the opportunity of A, modeling the behavior for others, and B, really paying attention to the micro behaviors that would 
encourage more curiosity and with it more learning rather than shutting both down. Often there is so much focus on performance, on making sure that we're crossing off the next thing on our to-do list, on executing to perfection, that we forget or we don't give enough space to curiosity. And in fact, if I think about one of the reasons most leaders do not encourage curiosity is because they have the wrong mindset of what that does. And you almost think that you can't have curiosity and efficiency at the same time. But I've visited lots of businesses, lots of organizations where you do, in fact, have both. And the very idea of encouraging curiosity leads the people to know when it's a moment or a time to execute and when it is a moment for exploring and keep on learning. So both can coexist, despite the fact that we might think that they are in contrast um, to each other. Well, and that's interesting because I know that you talk in Rebel Talent about that perceived, uh, anyway, trade-off between curiosity and and innovation, um, or excuse me, the, the trade-off between uh, innovation, which is often the result of, of that curiosity, and, and efficiency, um, as you're talking about. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about um, that perceived trade-off, and then as you're saying, that actually the, the two kind of can uh, coexist. So maybe just unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, so I, um, in the book and also in the article, I was Um, mentioning examples of very successful organizations where curiosity is, in fact, inspired. And I was trying to suggest that there are ways for all of us to make sure that we get things done so we are efficient in the way we make decisions, in the way we accomplish our work, but also we keep an eye on curiosity. So one of the examples that I shared is um, an example that comes from Intuit, And interestingly, Intuit has innovation awards every year, and they go to people whose explorations led to new products or new processes. But they also have failure awards, and the failure awards do not go to people whose products uh, came from their explorations, but it goes to people whose explorations led to important learnings for the team. And what's most exciting about this example is that the failure awards come with a failure party. Mm. So there is really a climate where exploration in the sense of keeping curiosity alive, allowing people to experiment is rewarded as long as it leads to some important learnings. Another example that I love comes from a three Michelin star restaurant in Modena, Italy. It's the restaurant that in 2016 became the best restaurant in the world. And then in 2018, they were at the top of the list again. And one of the things that is clearly an important ingredient of the type of innovation that you see at the restaurant is curiosity. You see it in the leader, in the chef and owner of the restaurant, but you should also see it in everybody else. And one of the examples that I love is an example of the leader modeling curiosity for others. So this is a very busy night at the restaurant. One of the sous chefs who's known in the restaurant as Taka was working on a lemon tart. It was uh, the last dessert of the night. And as he was carefully arranging all the pieces on the plate, the tart dropped to the floor. And now you had a smashed tart on a smashed plate. And Taka was almost starting to panic. He's obsessed with details and precisions and doing his work correctly. And as he was experiencing this feeling, the chef and owner, Massimo Bottura, walked into the kitchen and saw the plate on the floor. 
Now, in many fast food restaurants I visited, the leader would have started yelling at the mistake, but Butura didn't. He looked at the plate on the floor, and then he looked at Taka and said, Taka, I think we have a new dish, a new dessert. And sure enough, they came up with a new dessert. It's a deconstructed lemon tart. It's the most popular dessert on their menu. And the name for it is, oops, I dropped the lemon tart. (laughs) And so it's a perfect example of a leader who, even in the situations where there was an accident, he was able to look at it with curiosity and turn it into a source of inspiration. And so those are the type of leaders that are able to create environments where people get their work done. They're absolutely efficient in the work that they do in executing to perfection but they also assure and make sure that they model curiosity for others and in small way inspire others to keep their curiosity alive. If you're looking to inspire your learners and keep their curiosity alive, a learning platform can play a critical role. We encourage you to check out our sponsor for this quarter. WBT Systems develops the industry-leading top-class LMS, which delivers transformative professional development experiences for education and certification programs. With a single point of support from in-house integration experts, top-class LMS easily integrates with a wide variety of systems to provide efficient administration and a unified learning experience. WBT supports organizations in using learning technology to help drive growth and membership, increase revenues, and enhance the learning experience. WBT believes in truly understanding your challenges and partnering with you to ensure the success of your education programs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com WBT. And now back to Francesca and Salisa as they get into some of the data that show the benefit of curiosity. Well, you know, you've just shared a couple stories there, and I think you're beginning to get at this, but what I find fascinating is that, you know, curiosity kind of at at first blush might strike some people as being kind of a a soft and squishy concept, but (laughs) the benefits are real and and they're backed up by, by hard data. So would you share a little bit more about what you found about the benefits of curiosity? Yes, I, um, I, first of all, I found that, that even in the context of people whose job is to be learning officers in organizations, there isn't much um, encouraging of curiosity. So, for example, I looked at uh, data from a survey on 520 chief learning officers and chief talent development officers. This is a survey that I conducted on them. And what I found is that they often shy away from encouraging curiosity because they believe that fundamentally the company is going to be harder to manage if people can explore their interest, which I think is striking in light of what curiosity can do for us. So first, as we were saying earlier, curiosity is really an important driver of innovation. There is wonderful research by Harrison Spencer and other colleagues that um, robustly show a link um, between curiosity and more innovative thinking. And with my colleagues, we've done some of that research, and it's not only uh, curiosity being linked to more innovative way of thinking, but it's also curiosity linked to more creative ideas. So if you're in a brainstorming sessions and you're able to trigger curiosity, then people are going to end up with much more creative and original ideas. 
But curiosity can also be helpful in our decision-making processes. I found in research with my colleagues that we tend to be less biased. And what I mean by this is that the type of systematic errors that we often uh, fall prey to in our when we make decisions don't seem to show up as much when we approach the decision with curiosity because we ask all sorts of questions about potential alternatives. And finally, curiosity is really important as we work with others. When we are curious, we are much better able to reach good decisions within the group because we approach conversations and discussions with others with more of an open mind. We're more receptive to ideas that others might put on the table that if we weren't curious, we would uh, disregard or not pay attention to. So we've been focused on on curiosity so far, but but curiosity is just one of five core elements that you attribute to rebel talent in your most recent book. So I'm hoping you would just talk us briefly through the other four elements of of rebel talent and, and what those look like. With the book, I was really fascinated by um, people, whether they're leaders or employees or even people who don't have jobs, who seems to be breaking rules, but in a way that is very constructive and positive for their life and for the organizations that they work for. And what I was interested in doing in taking on this very big project is try to understand what talents they seem to have and how is it that we could all learn to use the the talents that rebel have and so these talents are curiosity as you said that's a big one that rebels seem to share the second one is novelty most of us prefer to go for what's familiar and comfortable and rebels instead uh, stretch themselves and always go for what's new They also have a talent for perspective. So most of us tend to approach the world, our jobs, uh, any situations in our life by looking at them from a specific point of view. And it's usually our own perspective. And rebels instead tend to look at different situations considering all sorts of points of view. So they have a much broader perspective. And the last two are a talent for authenticity, So rebels are people who find ways and find the courage to express their views rather than conforming to the ideas and behaviors of others. And they also have a talent for diversity. So they um, fight against the the social roles and stereotypical judgment that often we see in society. And they really think about ways in which they can productively leverage their differences with others. So they're people who are very much surrounded Uh, by others who are very different from them in a way that is beneficial to their work and to their decisions. Well, and so you found that what binds these five rebel talents, the the novelty, curiosity, perspective, diversity, and authenticity, you, you found that what kind of holds them together is engagement, that those are all paths to engagement. And this really struck me because, you know, I feel like engagement is a hot topic in learning. You know, we want and we need engaged learners for our educational products to be truly effective for those educational experiences to result in different thinking and changed behavior. So what advice do you have for those providing education and and professional development and lifelong learning to adults around 
enlisting those rebel talents in the service of effective learning? How might we instill or foster novelty, curiosity, perspective, diversity, and authenticity uh, among the learners that we serve? And, and is this something we can kind of bake into what we're offering? Or, <laughs> or do we have to have sort of separate you know, learning experiences around those talents? I think that there are all sorts of ways to bake the experiences into what we're already doing. When I think about my own training, my own teaching, there are times now, it depends on the topic of the class, but especially when I'm talking about the importance of some of these uh, talents, I make sure that there is an experience that comes with them. So, for example, just the other day I was talking about the importance of novelty in any organization and um, drawing on some of the experiences that I had where I felt really stretched, I took a moment, about 10, 15 minutes in class, to do an improv comedy type of exercise. And so all of a sudden, people were on their feet, they were working with their partners, there was a lot of laughter, but at the same time, there was also a lot of reflection in terms of the experience of really stretching ourselves and doing something new. And that felt very engaging, despite the fact that you also felt a bit uncomfortable. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was a great moment in the training where then I said, okay, but how do we bring this idea back to business? And we had a really healthy and interesting discussions about that with examples not only coming from me and the organizations that I have studied or worked with, but also from uh, the participants in the audience as well. And similarly, when I think about a very simple way to bring curiosity and bake it into what we are doing when it comes to training or offering learning experiences for others is we often have a focus on just trying to have answers to all the questions that are asked. And often in my own teaching, especially if I'm in front of individuals and somebody asks a question, I turn it to the audience and say, what do you think? If there is um, enough time and the opportunity for them to give an answers. And so you're triggering more curiosity and also perspective because people are coming to the same idea or to the same question with very different lenses. I also love to use another technique that is simple to the extent that is possible. Often we are very focused on performance. Mm. If we think about any context, really, and um, learning is definitely one where we often um, see situations where what we're interested in, in the score that we're going to get in a class or um, the score that we're going to get in a certain training. And what I do is making sure that people come in not only focused on their performance goals, but also that they're going to add learning goals, That's a wonderful way to keep curiosity alive. And again, teaching is a specific case, but it could be any part of business, making sure that we have learning goals in addition to performance ones. I remember reading in Rebel Talent, there was a section there around how much more um, effective people are if they have those learning goals rather than those kind of performance goals. Um, And and that, you know, rather to to focus on how I might become better at doing X rather than I'm going to have done, you know, X seven times, you know, by, by the end of this quarter or whatever it is, you know, if it's uh, sales, for example, that it's more about how can I more effectively uh, communicate with customers versus I'm going to, you know, make this amount uh, of money and revenue by the end of the quarter. I, that really struck me, that idea of no focus on the learning rather than uh, kind of a, a set goal. 
Exactly. Don't forget about the fact that they're both important and that there is so much focus on the performance one that we forget about the learning one. So so I would definitely uh, make a point, a habit of having learning goals in everything we do. There is an interesting story of a person I met as I was working on the book and I had the chance to interview and learn more about. And it's the story of the captain who ended up on a cold evening back in 2009, ditching a plane with 155 passengers in the Hudson River. It's Captain Sally Salenberger. And what is striking about him is that by the time the accident happened, this is a person who had ton of experience, over 30,000 hours of flying under his belt. He had served in the military, so he had experience flying all sorts of planes. He served as a volunteer studying previous accidents, so he had a lot of knowledge about what it is that can go wrong on a plane. And yet, every time he walked into the cockpit, he would ask himself what it is that could be different in this situation, what it is that I can still learn. And it's a wonderful example of a person who, despite the fact he had a lot of experience, he still looked at new situations with a lot of humility and with this appreciation for learning. So I think we have all the opportunity to look at situations that way, independent of whether we are captains of planes (laughs) or have very different jobs. To help foster that appreciation for learning Francesca and Salisa were just talking about, you need good technology to support you and your learners. We suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcast, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. And now, back to the interview as Francesca shares with Salisa one of her own most powerful learning experiences. So we're going to switch for our next to last question um, uh, away from your work specifically um, and, and curiosity and all of that because this is a question that we like to ask of all guests who come on the podcast and it's one that focuses on your own personal learning specifically. You said at the outset that you're a lifelong learner. And the question is just if you would share one of your most powerful learning experiences, something you've been involved with as an adult since finishing your formal education. It was a Christmas present that I gave to my husband a few years ago. Uh, I had what I saw was the perfect gift for him, for us, really. Um, and he was signing us up for a 10-week, two hours a week course in improv comedy <laughs> and my husband was a geek, so he loves gadgets and technology, was not too happy when he saw the card. Uh, but it was really interesting for both of us to go through such a course and not only stretch ourselves having this date with the unexpected every week, but also learn more about us and learning to appreciate um, the fact that discomfort can be good for life. 
And so that was a really powerful experience. I also love the principles that are at the core of improv comedy, this idea of always getting into exercises or trying to build the scenes with stranger uh, and basing our interactions on respect and listening. I think that those were really important um, aspects for me to understand better thanks to this class. And the principle of yes and, which which then mm-hmm. can can get picked up, uh, and I think um, you know gets gets used even in, in corporate culture uh, as sort of the the, the plusing that happens um, with, with folks to be supportive. Absolutely, absolutely. I find myself in every meeting now or any interactions try to remember that principle and apply it. So rather than smothering others' ideas or thinking that I always have the best answer, to really listen carefully to their ideas and then add to the conversation in a way that is constructive. Well, wonderful. So last question is just if listeners want to know more about you and, and your work, where would you have them go? I would have them go to the book website is rebeltalents.org. There are lots of interesting resources. My contact information is there. And there is also a test, a free test that people can take. It takes about seven, eight minutes and they can learn what type of rebel they are. And that might be an interesting uh, start on the journey of bringing more rebelliousness and curiosity into our life. That's great. And I, I have taken the tests. I'm a climber, I found out. So I definitely recommend that our listeners check that out and check out the other resources there. Francesca, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes our interview with Dr. Francesca Gino. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 181. When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as that helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be truly grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating and review. You can do that on iTunes by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that'll put you in the right place. Or if you use another service to listen, just look for the ratings and review area on that service. Salise and I personally appreciate your rating and review. Helps us to, to feel good about what we're doing. But more importantly, those reviews and ratings play a critical role in helping the podcast to show up when people search for content content that's related to the business of lifelong learning. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out more about WBT Systems at leadinglearning.com slash WBT. And find out what Community Brands has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash Community Brands. And last, but very far from least, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that'll pop up a tweet that you can just hit send on. And you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash learning. And of course, you can share us with others there. However you do it, please do spread the good word about leading learning. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.